when Zach was up here talking with me, he mentioned uh, loving God and loving others. And that's important because we should be really familiar with that phrase right now. We've been talking about it a lot over the last couple of months, and we've talked about what it means for us as a church. We've laid out some different things it means to love God and to love others. And then we talked about the Jesus Creed for a month or even more than that, six weeks, all about what it means for us as individuals for us to love God and love others. And in the midst of all that, there's been some work that's been going on behind the scenes in a way among the elders and some task forces that have been at work that have really been thinking about, okay, let's look at the life of our church. Are we really mobilized to do this work of loving God and loving others? And we've done some, some really hard work thinking about our plan for the future and what the church should look like and matching what we're doing right now with loving God and loving others. And one of the things that we've seen is that ministry teams have been the, the primary way that we've mobilized this church to do ministry, and it's worked really well. But what we also see is that we think of, as we think about what ministry should look like in terms of loving God and loving others, we're not mobilized exactly like we need to be. So it's time to take that ministry team structure that's been really successful and sort of restructure it to make it match what we want to do as a church, to love God and love others. So over the last few weeks and months, really, we've taken our time on this because we wanted to get it right. We've thought about, okay, here's some teams that maybe need to stay just like they are. And here's some teams that may need to split because they've got two big tasks and it doesn't make sense for this small group of people to do all that work. So let's get two teams. And here's some teams over here that we've got to add to our current structure because we're not doing this work over here. And as we've talked about that, we've recognized that that's a pretty big change. And so we want to spend several weeks talking through what that looks like. And we're going to do that on Sunday mornings. And, and I'll talk about the end of that process that will be at the end of May in just a few minutes. But as I think about those ministry teams and all the work that takes place here at TCC, I can imagine that if I came into an organization like this, whether it was a church or a community organization, and, and saw all these people doing all these different things, all moving pieces and everything's like it should be, I can tell you how I would respond if I walked into a, a situation like this and I'm not hired there, I'm not working there, I'm not leading there, I'm just walking in. I think I would take a step back. Think, wow, you know, I don't know if I want to get in the middle of that because they've got this thing figured out. And if I step into that, you know, chances are I might mess it up. I might do something that's going to cause them more trouble than any help I could get them. And I might even think they've got this all under control. Now, here's the thing. We don't have it under control. And before you panic and say, oh, James is saying the church is out of control. That's not what I'm getting at, okay? What I'm driving at is this. There's a couple of reasons that I believe our church is not under control, and I don't even want it to be under control. And the first is this. If we say, okay, we've got this thing figured out. We've got the church under control. We know exactly how it should be. Whose control is it under? mine or the elders or ministry team leaders. It's under our control. And we never want that because we want the church to be under God's control. 
And we want to be ready so that it's, we don't have this thing so scheduled and oriented to what we like and what we want that if God moves in a new direction, shows us a new opportunity, gives us a problem to overcome, shows us a different way of doing something we're doing now, but maybe better, we don't say, hey, whoa, no, 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 no. We got it figured out. We've got it under control. We want to be able to adapt to where God is moving in our church and in our world so that we're with God. So no, it's not under control. And the second reason it's not under control is that the church is a living organism. I mean, we're alive, right? A church that's not alive and living is a church that is dying. And the church is alive for lots of different reasons. We're, we're all growing, or we should be. We're developing, we're doing new things and gaining new insights and developing the gifts that God has given us. And so we can serve in new ways. But we also have people that move into our community and become part of our church. We have people that don't know Jesus that we're reaching out to and come to know Christ. And then they become part of what's going on in the life of our church. We have people who have to move away or they're getting married and they're going to be living in a different place or whatever it may be. So those people are being sent out to do ministry somewhere else. We have babies being being born and people growing old and people dying and that makes us alive and since we're alive we'll never have it under control you know you can control an organization you can have a, a chart that shows the leadership and the organization and you can have policies and procedures and guidelines and pages and pages of documents that get that organization under control. But the church is not an organization. The church is alive. A living body. And so it will never be under control. We always want to be changing and adapting and growing and learning. Now that means that as the church changes and adapts and grows, that means more people have to come in and be involved in ministry and do the work of the Lord because we're doing more and more. And when I say that, a lot of people will react this way. Oh boy, another recruitment sermon, okay? must be that they're lacking some volunteers in the nursery and they're, they're trotting James out to get some people to sign up and help out back there. Well, you know, the truth is, I don't have anything new on any of that. You can say I've heard this before, and maybe you have. But what I can tell you is that I believe Taylorville Christian Church is situated in a place where we have some great opportunities for ministry in the church and in the community. And it's up to us to decide whether we're going to respond to those opportunities or not. Are we going to do this together? And you know, a lot of people will respond, hey, I don't know if you really need me. I mean, you got all those people over there who are doing ministry, and they know what they're doing. You got somebody that will say, I'm not really prepared to do ministry. I don't have the training or the giftedness. I'm not anything special. I don't know how you could even use something I know how to do. And then you've got people who will say, I'm just really too busy to get involved. I mean, most of us are not bored. We're not looking for things to fill our time, right? We've got family. We're taking care of our kids. We're taking care of our parents. Uh, we're watching over our work, and we're taking care of our finances and all these things that we don't need more to do. Sometimes we feel like we need a lot less to do. So what do we do in the midst of that? How do we live this Christian life 
and serve in a way that pleases God. Today we begin the series that I'm calling, How Can I Help? And we're thinking about the future of the church and the way that we're going to do ministry together. And we're going to be in the book of Acts each week in this, in this series because Acts really speaks to the life of the early church, shows us great examples for doing ministry. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. I want us to look in this great passage that talks about the way the early church chose to do ministry. And it all began with a problem. Okay? And the problem is laid out in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Luke tells us in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, okay, the church is growing. And you know what happens when the church grows? Problems, okay? New people come in. You don't have enough space. Something's not getting done. Problems. They had it, okay? The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So what's the problem? Here it is. Two big groups in ancient Palestine. You've got the first group that are the locals. We're from here, okay? We grew up here. We know everybody. We know the customs. We follow the law closer than anybody because the temple's right there in Jerusalem. We got a synagogue in every small town in ancient Palestine. We speak the language, close to Hebrew, the language Aramaic. We all speak the same language, and it's God's language. It's Hebrew, okay? We have the network and then you've got this other group. They're the outsiders. They're the immigrants. They came from somewhere else in the Roman Empire. They don't know everybody. They probably didn't follow the law as closely as the Jews who grew up there. The ones who grew up there are called Hebraic. The ones from somewhere else are called Hellenistic. They don't know people. They weren't related to people. And they don't speak the language. They speak Greek. And while some people in Palestine knew Greek, or at least some Greek, it's still different. And there seemingly could be some tension there. You can imagine the, the Jews felt responsible for the widows, but hey, it's easy when it's Aunt Martha, right? We've got to take care of her, or, or your best friend's grandmother. Got to take care of her, too. But then there were these people who moved in, and a lot of them moved in because they wanted to get back to God's promised land, but in part because it was seen as a blessing to be buried in the promised land. Well, think about that. You have an older couple that moves back so that they can be buried here in the promised land. The husband dies, and there's, it's just like Florida, okay? The husband dies, and there's the widow. She's left alone. And who's going to take care of her? She doesn't know anybody. And there's a little resentment. And these widows who came from somewhere else are being overlooked. Now, are they just overlooked by accident? Or is there a little animosity going on? We're not told. But we do know that it would be a problem in the life of the church whether Gentiles could come into the church. So maybe this is a precursor to that. The Jews took it seriously, to the responsibility to care for these widows, and that was transferred over into the life of the church because the early church was made of Jews. So you get these Jewish Christians, and some of them say, hey, you're ignoring these widows that are from somewhere else. So what are the apostles going to do with this problem that comes up in the life of the early church? Verse 2, so the twelve, that's the apostles, gathered all the disciples together congregational meeting, okay, and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God 
in order to wait on tables. Well, hang on a minute here. Peter, are you saying that you're too important to make sure these widows get enough food? Hey, Philip, are, are you saying that you're too good to deliver meals on wheels? Is that what you're saying? Well, the answer is no. What the twelve are saying is, listen, we are the ones who were with Jesus the whole time. We are the ones who witnessed all the miracles, who were there at the Sermon on the Mount. We were there at the Last Supper and the last half of the book of John where most of the teaching is all delivered to the twelve in that room on the last night Jesus was alive. Only they heard it and they felt a responsibility to share what Jesus taught about living a life of a disciple of Christ. Okay? If they don't do it, who's going to do it? I'm sure they were capable of going over and delivering the food to the widows who were in need. But they say we can't neglect what God has called us to do. But they didn't leave it there. Verse 3, they have a plan. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Okay, so choose seven men. And here's what I want you to choose. They have three characteristics. Number one, they're from among the group of the Hellenistic Jewish Christians. Number two, they're full of the Spirit. Number three, full of wisdom. So choose seven men from among you. We're not going to choose seven of our guys and then impose this on you. You don't know them. You don't trust them. Choose seven men that you already trust. Seven men that you can see God at work in their lives. Seven men who have wisdom because some discernment is going to be needed in this job. It would become a controversy in the life of the early church. Which widows needed help? You're going to need wisdom. Choose those seven men, and then we're going to give them the responsibility of taking care of these widows who are in need. Okay, so how did that plan work out? Verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. That's a good idea. They chose Stephen, and we can read the rest of his story in chapter 7 and 8. They chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Listen to this. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. What's this about? Okay, seven men, they all have Greek names. It seems clear that they've done just as the apostles ask, and they've chose seven men who are, you know, they've, they're from someplace other than Judea, Palestine. Seven men they trust. And they bring them to the apostles, and the apostles say, awesome, seven great choices. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay our hands on them, and we're going to pray. Why was that important? Well, obviously prayer is important because they want to equip them with the Holy Spirit so they're acting according to God's will. But the laying on of hands was huge because it said to them, we are passing on. It was a symbol of passing on authority. It said, we're giving these men the authority they need to take the responsibility we're giving and do the job that needs to be done. It was equipping them to be 
successful. They didn't say, okay, sounds great, seven guys, choose whoever you want, and then leave us alone. No, seven men that you trust, who have these characteristics, and then we're going to give them the authority that they need to do this work, and then we're going to set them free to do it. It's perfect. Letting people do the ministry that they're called to do. So how did that work out in the life of the early church? Verse 7. What's the result? So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God spread. The church grew because of what these the apostles decided to do in the face of this problem. Now, here's a question that I want us to answer. What would have happened if the apostles had said, okay, you know, I get that the teaching needs to be done, but here's widows in need. We can't ignore that. Let's just make sure these widows get fed, and we'll spend whatever it takes, whatever amount of time it takes to get that job done. Now, could, could Luke have followed that up with the Word of God spread. How could it have spread if all these people who were coming to Jesus and becoming Christians, how could the Word of God spread if there's nobody to teach them? If there's nobody to share what Jesus said and what Jesus did? It couldn't have. Now, it would have been awesome for these widows. It would have been great that they were fed, but the church could not have grown. People could not have come to Jesus if there was no one teaching. So the disciples, the apostles did exactly what needed to be done in this setting. They continued to do the ministry that God had called them to do, and they equipped and gave authority to the people who needed to do this other ministry. You can imagine if the apostles, every time some problem came up in the life of the early church, said, okay, we're going to do it ourselves. First it's these widows, then it's something else, and they have to go over here. The widows aren't getting fed. The teaching's not getting done, but they're dealing with this important thing over here. There's no way the church could have been successful. The apostles recognized what they were called and charged with doing, and then they let the church... They let the church do the work of the church. And there's a great lesson for us there, that we all have something to do. The apostles had their ministry, and the seven have their ministry, and you can look through the book of Acts and see people doing what they were called to do, and each one of us has something we need to do. We're all called into ministry. Now, we could pretend that the elders and the ministry staff and maybe some ministry team leaders could do all the ministry in the life of Taylorville Christian Church. And I think those are blessed people, gifted people that God is charged with doing important things. But here's the thing. If we did that, we would be restricting the ministry of our church. It could only get so big because those people could only do so much. But if we want to allow God to be at work in the life of this church and extend the ministry and extend the reach of both this church and the Word of God into our community 
and really throughout the world, we have got to entrust ministry with a larger group of people and empower them and give them the authority to do ministry. And the way we do that really is ministry teams. And so over the next few weeks, I'm going to lay out what this new structure of ministry teams is going to look like. You'll get more detail each week, but the basic outline is this. There are four areas of ministry that we're thinking about. And each ministry team falls under those four areas of ministry. The, the first is equip. Okay? These are ministries that equip other ministries to do their work. Okay? These have to be in place or a ministry does not happen. For example... Let's just say that the finance team has not arranged for the power bill to be paid this month. Well, that would create some problems this morning, right? Because we would have no electricity. And it wouldn't be very comfortable or very light in this room at this moment. So that's vital that they do their work to equip all the other ministries to do their work. Even the prayer team is in this area of ministry. Why? Because we believe that prayer should undergird everything else that we do. If we're not praying, then we're not going to get anything else right. And it's not just the prayer team that does all the praying, but they equip us with the tools that we need to be people who are involved in praying for the life of the church. So there's equip. Second, connect. These are ministries that connect people with God and with others. Okay, we need both those connections. We need to know God deeply and we need connections with other Christians so that we can live this life, the life that we're called to live. So this might include small groups or involvement or the ministries that welcome people into the life of the church and lead them from that first encounter with Taylorville Christian Church to, to being involved in the, in the life of the church and doing life together. Now, we're, we really want to hire two staff members right now. We want a youth minister, and we've talked with Zach today about that, but we're also looking for a connections minister to help us with small groups and involvement. But our idea is not, hey, this person's going to do all that work, but this person's going to be involved in a lot of that work and equip us and help us prepare for connecting people to God and to others. The third one is serve. We want to identify needs in the church and in the community. Some of them will be physical, some financial, some spiritual, and we want to meet those needs. Now, can we meet every one of those needs? Nope. But we can do some of it. And we want to mobilize in such a way through these ministries that we're able to reach out effectively and meet the needs that we see in the community. And then finally, fourth, is reach. How are we making the name of Jesus known in this community? How are we making the name of Taylorville Christian Church known in this community? How are we reaching out there to our community and even beyond that so that people will know Jesus? So four areas of ministry that every one of our ministry teams will fall under. And again, some of them just the same, some of them changed, some of them new. And we're thinking about this is the way that we're going to do ministry. I'm going to lay out each one of those areas over the next four weeks. And this is one of those times when I know lots of people are not here for five weeks in a row. We have vacations. Somebody gets sick. We have to be out of town for work. And that's, we understand that. But if you can, if you miss a week, take an opportunity to get online, get on the website, and listen to that week's sermon so that you're sort of up to date and know where we're headed in all this. Because on the last Sunday, May 31st, last day of the month, 
we're going to have a special schedule, and you need to mark this in your head now, okay? There will only be two services that day, 8 o'clock, 1045. You showed up for 1045 today, in case you didn't remember, all right? So that's, this service will be here, but come early, all right? At 920, when we normally have our second worship service, we're going to have a special time for the whole church in the activity center. We're going to have a light breakfast that day, which is sounding pretty good right now. And we're going to have a ministry expo when our ministry teams are going to have some way of expressing what they do and an opportunity for you to interact, ask questions, and maybe say, hey, I want to be part of this ministry. Okay? So May 31st, come early. Get food. Sign up. That's pretty simple, right? Okay, there's something for everyone to do. I can't do it all. Ken and I can't do it all. The elders can't do all this. We don't want to. It's not designed to be done that way. Church is not designed to be lived that way. Especially if you're not involved in any kind of ministry right now. This is an opportunity. There's going to be lots of new ways to get involved in what God is doing. Be praying about that over the next four weeks and prepare for that day because that's a day that I think we can jump in and say, I want to do something new or I want to do something different or I want to get involved in a way I've never been involved because God has something for me to do in this place. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the way you've been at work in the life of this church for decades. And great things have happened in this church and in this community because of this group of believers. And we pray that you'll take us and extend that. Do even more through us so that people will know that we love you and that we love them. And because of that mission, people will be drawn to Jesus. And help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.